0: Welcome to the Smut and Spice Podcast, where we're living vicariously through the female main characters in reverse harems, dark romances, paranormal romances, and bully romances. We're your hosts, Sam and Ashley. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing the Featherstone Academy series by Casey Keene. This series has some quality male male content, as well as an extremely badass female main character. Be warned, this episode may contain spoilers and explicit content that is inappropriate for those under 18. This show is not for children. Um, We would like to include a brief trigger warning for this series. Um, There is murder and violence in this series.
1: All right. So on today's episode, we are diving in to the trilogy that is Featherstone Academy. There are two additional books from Luna's Best Friends perspective that tells her own love story with her reverse harem that um, take place during the last two books of Featherstone Academy and then kind of act as an epilogue to that series as well. And both of those are out. So if you wanna check those out as well as Featherstone Academy, they are all awesome reads. So Featherstone Academy is all about our main character, Luna. And Luna is a badass, which is why we love her so much. She can hold her own in a fight. She's a weapons expert. She's a little thief in the night.
0: (laughs) She has a lot of tech experience.
1: Yes, she's a tech master. And I just love how capable she is as a main character. Uh, But before we jump into that, let's give a little bit of an overview of what Featherstone Academy is all about. So when I was describing the series to my husband, I described it as college for criminals. (laughs) And that's basically what Featherstone Academy is. Uh, Luna is kidnapped by her mother, who she is not close with and who hasn't been involved in her life at all, and is brought to this academy. And when she gets to the academy, she is told that the purpose of the Academy is to teach all of these children how to be criminal so that they can carry on their bloodline and carry on their family's legacies. You want to add in anything here, Ash?
0: No, I mean, I, I think that that's, you know, that's pretty much it. Is You know, that they're being groomed to take over these family criminal en- enterprises.
1: So all of Featherstone is run by a group of people that they refer to as the Ring, And the ring, it has been run by the same families year in and year out. And those families are seen as, like, the top tier of the academy. And the academy is very much a hierarchical system. So there are people at the top and people at the bottom. And Luna comes in at the top because she represents two of the families that are a part of the ring. Her dad's uh, bloodline, the steel bloodline, And um, Rafe's bloodline, Rafe is uh, short for Raphael, who is the man who has been raising her since uh, her father died. And his family, the Gibbs family, is also in the ring. In addition, she also has her mother's bloodline, which is just one step below uh, all of the Ace families in Diamond. And um, so she has three bloodlines that she's representing, which kind of puts her at a disadvantage because it has people's eyes on her the expectations are higher and it's really drawing people's attention to her as a new person in this world
0: and it's important to stress that you know these kids have gone to school together some of them for a while Um, and for her to just kind of show up there unexplained and be representing three bloodlines is a pretty big deal
1: Yeah, so that draws a lot of suspicion her way, uh, especially from uh, the other members who are in the Ace Block because they've been together since they were children. So this new person coming in claiming to represent three different bloodlines, they're basically looking at her with a lot of suspicion, wondering, like, who the fuck is this girl and why is she showing up here now? Something that we find out about Luna uh, very early on is that she has blocked a lot of her memories from childhood. And this is because uh, she believes she saw her father be murdered in front of her when she was six years old. So we get in the beginning of the first book, there's a prologue and it's from young Luna's point of view, her perspective. And she is like waking up in this memory covered in blood. And it's kind of like a flashback for her to a very traumatic moment in her life. So she doesn't have any memories of her life prior to the age of six, which is really going to become important because a lot of these people who she's going to come in contact with at the academy knew her at that point in her life, and she doesn't recall any of those interactions. So she's very much put at a disadvantage where all of these people know her, know her story, know her family, and she is dropped into this world where she did not have any background knowledge coming in.
0: And to go with that memory, um, she does recall, I'm probably going to butcher how this is pronounced. Do you want to help me?
1: I believe it's Mia Tesoro.
0: That's what I thought too. So she's called Mia Tesoro in the memory and it means my treasure in Portuguese because I looked it up and it's one of my favorite pet names of all time. Um, so she has no recollection of who's calling her this in the beginning. Um, but, you know, as Sam said, we find out kind of after the fact that she thinks that she saw her father um, while he was murdered and. Um, and I'm just a sucker for you know people speaking in different languages I realized that after the fact that this is her dad's you know loving name for her but um it just reminds me of Ronan calling Mila kitten in Russian
1: yeah those are not the same situation (laughs) I know
0: but it's just like I just love it
1: uh I came into the series and I was like oh I know what that means uh because of a Jermaine fan fanfiction, where Hermione is actually dating Blaise Zabini at one point, and Portuguese and Italian are very similar languages, and he calls her "my treasure" in Italian. So when I saw this, I was like, "Oh, I know what that means." So uh, I felt very validated that something I learned in fanfiction I was able to transfer <laughs> to another story. Uh, all right, Ash, do you want to tell us how Luna is described in the story and a little bit of a background on her before she gets to the Academy?
0: Yeah. Um, so Luna is described as five foot seven, with wavy brown hair and green eyes. And I love that Luna isn't your typical tiny blonde female main character. Like, I don't know. Oh, yeah.
1: I mean,
0: yeah. Um, and I just get tired of that. I, I guess it's, I mean, I couldn't really say it's a trope, but it's very common in a lot of reverse harem novels that it's just like a very like tiny petite female main character not that five foot seven is huge but because that's like how tall I am but I feel like to most women I feel like an Amazon so um, I'm
1: five foot seven too
0: yeah well I mean I don't know I feel like we're kind of taller than like the norm um even though I work with a doctor who's 6'1", and she's like, oh, I wish I was that tall. She's so gorgeous. <laughs> anyway, um, the first book opens with her hanging out at a tattoo shop with some of her friends. And Wraith, who we previously mentioned, is the owner. And she wants to become his apprentice when she graduates college. But, of course, Rafe is like, hey, like, you know, you oh, when she graduates high school, not college, right? This, like, Luna, you need to go to college, Mm -hmm. which, you know, for someone who's just, like, a friend and mentor and trains her in fighting and self-defense, like, that's, I guess, you know, kind of weird that he doesn't want her to take over the business, but we'll come full circle around back to that. So we enter things on Luna's 18th birthday, where she's excited to finally um, enter in the underground fights that she's been attending for the last few months. However, she doesn't account for her mother kidnapping her and taking her to Featherstone Academy. Um, And that's, you know, what we talked about, that it's run by the most notorious crime families in order to train their children to follow in their footsteps.
1: Yeah. So we find out later that Rafe went to Featherstone. He was very aware of everything that was going on there. But it was his goal to keep Luna out of that world. He wanted to protect her and keep her away, which is why he didn't clue her in to anything that was going on. Um, And while we love Rafe for wanting to protect her in that way, it really does leave her at a disadvantage because she's playing catch-up throughout the entire first book about her background, her family's legacy, and all of the players that are kind of coming into her life as she's getting used to life at the Academy. So while rafe definitely had good intentions uh his good intentions really left luna at a disadvantage as she started
0: yeah and you know even though he taught her so many things and how to protect herself i mean it's so important to be established in that sort of criminal underworld i mean your name is pretty much everything and for and that's another thing too like the other bloodlines like they were aware that she existed and that these bloodlines like continued, but had no idea, like no, didn't know anything about her. I don't know. That was just kind of weird.
1: <laughs> yeah, it definitely leaves a lot of plot holes. So the basics of her backstory from the other bloodlines perspective is that they were all told that Luna died with her father. Um, but in reality, obviously, Luna survived and Rafe took her and ran and tried to keep her out of all of that. But then people slowly started to realize that she was alive and that there was additional contact with other people from Featherstone. And then her mother decided that she was going to attend and then kidnapped her and took her there. So there were people at Featherstone who were aware that she was alive, but they tried to keep that hush hush. It just wasn't very successful.
0: Yeah. And I realized that we're kind of jumping around a lot in this episode Um, We want to keep it to where you guys, our listeners, if you haven't read the series, that you'll still want to watch it, even if you've listened to our episode on the series. Um, Because, it, you know, you do kind of, um, the story develops as it goes along. And some of the, you know, some things are pretty ambiguous in the beginning. And you're just kind of like, huh, I wonder what that's about. And then it's all revealed as you get to the last book.
1: We are going to be going over some spoilers when we get to book three, though. So I definitely... If if you want to keep it a mystery, I would skip over some sections there. Because I have a lot I want to discuss about some events in book three. Um, Okay. So Luna gets to Featherstone. And we are introduced to some key players who will eventually become her best friend and the four members of her harem. So we have uh, Jess, who... I was very suspicious of at the beginning because, like, you don't arrive at a criminal underground academy and there's just this bright, bubbly redhead who's ready to be your BFF. I was like, something's, something's going on with that girl. But then everything was fine, so I was wrong.
0: <laughs> I think because reverse harems don't focus a ton on female friendship, at least a lot of them, that that's why we were so skeptical about their friendship. But Casey Keene did not disappoint.
1: Oh, most definitely. Yeah, I love their friendship. And then we have the four members of her harem. Do you want to give that overview, Ash?
0: Yes. Yes, I do. All right. So Roman has olive skin and ripped abs. He's described as having short brown hair, stunning blue eyes, and a square jawline. Luna says that he has the sexiest V I have ever laid eyes on. There's a small beauty spot just below his left eye and I need to lick it. Um, And Roman kind of has that personality where he's, you know, the not leader, but kind of takes charge of the guys. Um, And, you know, that's something that I find super attractive, just like how I found that attractive with Vic and Havoc. Um, And he has a giant skull tattoo on his back, also very attractive. Um, next we have Parker he is described as being a bastard child Um, he says that about himself Uh, he is not aware of what his bloodline is he's going to have to prove himself worthy before he can find out what it is he's described as having short curly brown hair a slim frame dark eyebrows and hazel eyes he has full lips and a hot nerd vibe according to Luna and it's also said that he hates crude language um, but Sam and I found this to kind of be untrue because in some of the later books, um, we believe that he does use crude language. Um, Oscar is a big blonde with bright blue eyes like the ocean. He kind of gives off surfer vibes and he has colorful tattoos. Oscar is very much the Blake Bowman. Classic this Blake harem. Bowman. He's funny. yes he's funny uh girls tend to be drawn to him he's cocky and I'm not normally like the Blake Bowman type but I do love Oscar in this book and I think that that's something that I'm starting to realize the more episodes that we do is that like I think I actually am the Blake Bowman type
1: (laughs) it's a lot of self-realization right there Uh,
0: I know just interesting the things that we learn about ourselves (laughs) um and then we have kai he is not down with male male action he is a quarter asian um he has jet black hair that's swept to the side a cartilage piercing he's not as big as the others he's a little bit slimmer um he calls luna sakura he's a tech expert and um he's also luna's car buddy uh the way that they get to their classes is kind of cool um ace like has cars that they like ride to the classes in um so it's just luna and kai in the car together um and it's nice and the way that their relationship kind of develops from that is really cute um and luna also says i want to lick him um luna wants to do a lot of licking which i can really identify with
1: (laughs) ashley relates to that on a personal level
0: yes that's how i feel about henry cavill (laughs) And Kevin Creekman. And if you are a listener of this podcast and you don't know who Kevin Creekman is, please go look him up on TikTok and Instagram. <laughs> oh, <Ugh>. he's gorgeous.
1: <laughs> so Luna meets her harem uh, pretty early on once she gets to the Academy. And at first they are very suspicious of her, especially Roman. And we come to find out that's because Roman knew Luna Uh, very early on. They were childhood friends. They were supposed to be married at some point later on because of an alliance between their families. And he grew up with her and he was told that she had died. So here comes this person coming into the academy who he believes is impersonating uh, someone he knew for six years of his life. And so it makes sense that he's very suspicious of her. It makes sense that he is very standoffish and kind of, well, not kind of an asshole, truly an asshole when they first meet one another. Um, But actually the person who kind of steps in and stops this from being like a classic bully romance is Parker. Uh, And we get to see exactly how much control that Parker has over the other members of the harem and not because he's like a typical alpha type but because they're also protective over him and because they see him as, like, the best judge of character. So because Parker steps in and is like, no, Luna's great, we're going to leave her alone, everyone else is kind of like, oh, okay, I guess we're not going to be assholes to Luna then.
0: Yeah, and remember how we said that Parker does not have a surname? Luna kind of gives him a cute surname and calls him Parker Parker. Um, so, you know... I'll refer to him as that from time to time as we're doing this episode. Um, But I just think that that's really great that this isn't, you know, like your typical bully reverse harem romance. Like there's, you know, Roman tries to do that little bit of bullying. And I mean, I even think in a way like Oscar in the beginning, like is slightly a bully too. But anyway, um, the Parker just kind of squashes all of that and, I love how sensitive the other guys in the harem are to the trauma that Parker's experienced in his life. Um, They're all very caring, and I just, oh, I love that about them.
1: They are not the typical alpha harem at all. Like how they treat one another, the relationships that they've built between them, um, the romantic relationships that they build between them, which we'll talk about a little later on, it is very much not your typical harem of, like, alpha assholes that you would anticipate it being.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, I compare a lot of series to Havoc, but that, to me, it's like, a lot of big personalities in one harem. Um, you know, they're obviously, like, very, like, macho, straight guys. And in this, like, they're comfortable with their masculinity enough that they can be caring and, you know are down for some male-on-male action, and it's just... Oh, this. The way that this series was written is just perfect.
1: It definitely... It's not the typical trope of we're a bunch of tough guy criminals. Uh, you get a lot more of their softer side, which I really appreciate, especially with a character like Roman who would, in any other typical reverse harem, be, like, the asshole leader who's always as assertive as possible, dominant in bed. Like, you would expect that to carry over into all other parts of the story, but instead you get to see him being really caring and emotional with Parker and with Luna, him stepping outside of his comfort zone with how he approaches different conflicts that happen in the story. And just in all, you get a full scope of who they are as people instead of just like a very one-dimensional character. Yeah, Let's talk about Luna and her mother's relationship, or lack thereof. Oh. So we've already mentioned the fact that it was Luna's mother who kidnapped her and brought her to Featherstone. Uh, Ash, you want to talk a little bit about what we know about Luna and her mother's interactions at other points? Her
0: mom is just a real asshole.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Um, I don't have any, like, distinct examples that I can think of off of the top of my head, but it's just like... Oh, she's just the worst.
1: So we find out later on that her mom was never really supposed to be a parental figure in her life. Uh, She was artificially inseminated um, and she was just kind of acting. um, Oh, God. This was something that
0: I thought that we should have explained that I meant to say. What? Was like when we were talking about the bloodlines that like these sorts of like relationship you know, ar- I guess, like, arranged marriages that would, like, come up between families because this is very much, a re- like, an arranged relationship between Rafe and Bryce and... what What's her mom's name? And Featherstone, like, within the criminal, you know, within, the, like, not the ring, but the different families, marriages are commonly arranged. So... Luna's dads had an arranged thing with Veronica and Veronica never like really wanted to have like kids this was just kind of like a business transaction I think that's the best way to put it oh wait but
1: um that doesn't include okay so originally Luna's mother Veronica was supposed to be married to Bryce Steele Luna's father but then Uh, Bryce we find out later on fell in love with Rafe and so Bryce's mother uh, who we love so much Luna's grandmother Steele um, she basically said you don't have to go forward with the arranged marriage Uh, but Bryce still wanted to solidify the relationship between the bloodlines so they compromised and artificially inseminated Veronica and put Veronica's name on the birth certificate as the mother in order to solidify that alliance. But it was really going to be Bryce and Rafe raising Luna as their own child between them. Veronica was never really supposed to be involved as her mother.
0: Yeah. And there's like some weird like jealousy issues with Veronica and like it's just it's weird.
1: Yeah. Veronica definitely had resentment about them backing out of the marriage contract um and I think there was a lot of expectation on her end that something was going to happen she was going to like be valued as a wife in some sort of like arrangement but like everything just kind of fell apart and she had a lot of resentment about that and then when she found out that um she wasn't going to be married to Bryce at all in this arrangement. It was just going to be Bryce and Rafe marrying Luna. She like tried to abort Luna like very late in the pregnancy so there was there was a lot that she was trying to do in order to undermine Bryce and Rafe um, but she has a lot of anger towards Luna just for being born in this situation.
0: Yeah Veronica has some serious serious issues like there's some other shit throughout this series. Like her and fucking
1: Barbette. <laughs> uh, so all the bloodlines, in addition to having alliances between them, um, they also have skill sets. So every bloodline has a skill set that they specialize in. So like Luna's bloodline of being a steel, their whole um, skill set is thievery, basically. Uh, the <laughs> Gibbs bloodline. get it. Oh, what were you saying? I
0: said, "Ha ha, steal <laughs> <I get it. laughs> The um
1: the Gibbs bloodline is like focused on weaponry and violence and like that kind of stuff. And then Roman's bloodline is a bunch of assassins. Um, just in general, every bloodline has its own skill set. So when they get to the academy, they have to train in their bloodline skill set. Uh, so. Luna's being trained in weaponry, in combat. Um, she also has a uh, fantastic class name called Bribery, Infiltration, Corruption, and Embezzlement, which is just a hell of a course name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and basically all of these classes that she's attending are in place so that to prepare her for the ultimate final exam at the end of the academy, which is the game. Ash, you want to talk about the game?
0: Yeah, so basically, the game is where you go through all these different trials, and based on, like, you know, if you pass, like, if you complete the game, it, like, determines if you're going to run your family's enterprise or not.
1: Yeah, so the whole game is leading up to uh, Luna taking her place as a part um, of the entire agency, basically. As a part of the circle, eventually she would take over the steel bloodline and run shit. (laughs) Um, But the game is a life or death situation. So they really have to prepare themselves and train as much as possible because either you win the game or you die. That's it.
0: You win the game or you die.
1: (laughs) That's like some Game of Thrones bullshit right there. Game of Thrones
0: shit. Like an alternative modern day game of thrones. Exactly.
1: Uh, so there's a typical mean girl at the Academy, to no one's surprise. Her name is Ren. And she's... Ren
0: Dietrichson.
1: Ren Dietrichson, whose mother is also like the head of the Academy. And she's in Ace. Her grandfather is a member of the ring. And she's like a key antagonist throughout the whole series. Her and Luna are constantly getting into it. Ren is very upset that her and Roman aren't hooking up, and then in addition, she's upset that Luna is taking attention away from her, and then um, her grandfather is encouraging her to attack Luna because Luna is getting in the way of his plans for the ring. It's uh, There's a lot of layers uh, of the conflict between Ren and Luna, but they immediately get off on the wrong foot. <laughs> And it ends with yeah. Luna pushing Ren into a fountain, which is just fantastic. Um, oh,
0: Luna's, like, so, like, they're just, like, that typical, like, catty high school. Well, I mean, they're not in high school. But, you know, like, fresh out of high school, like, I don't like you.
1: Yeah, she's, like, very much the typical mean girl. But also Luna pulls a power move after she knows that her name is Ren. She starts calling her Wendy on purpose, which is just so <laughs> fucking funny. I love the idea of, like, purposely getting someone's name wrong because you don't like them. I've never tried to do that in real life, but I feel like I should because there's just so many times when someone is really getting on my nerves and I just want to turn around and purposely call them the wrong name just to let them know that they've pissed me off.
0: I can think of a few people that you could do that to. (laughs) And I wanted to add that what I never... I guess I never thought that... (laughs) Is it okay if I talk about this now, or should I wait until we, like, get farther along?
1: What what did you want to talk about?
0: I wanted to talk about how I never considered
1: the fact that she was the mole. Okay, so let's give some background to that. So, part of the reason why everyone was so suspicious of Luna when she first came is because there's this big bad guy for this entire universe named Totem. And Totem was trying to take over the circle at one point. He's caused a lot of violence and, like, awful things that have occurred, And there is a rumor throughout all of Featherstone that Totem has an heir and that heir is a mole in the academy and that they are trying to basically take the academy down from the inside and take over the circle. So when Luna first showed up and they thought that she was pretending to be herself, everyone just assumed that Luna was Totem's heir coming to fuck shit up. But we find out later on, spoiler, 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 that Ren, the classic mean girl, is in fact Totem's heir. And I don't recall
0: hearing anything about Ren's, like, actual dad, so I don't know why I didn't think, like, that that could be a potential. Especially, like, as terrible as Barbette is and, like, all the shit that she kind of, like, rigs to go wrong against Luna.
1: Barbette is Ren's mother, by the way.
0: Oh, yes. Barbette Dietrichsen, whose name I also hate.
1: (laughs) As I said earlier, if you name your child Barbette, you are setting them up to be a massive bitch.
0: (laughs) The name of an evil headmaster.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I I wrote in the notes because I had the same thoughts. I don't know if it was cliche to make Ren totems heir and like, the one key villain that people were looking for this entire time. Or if it was, like, a brilliant move of, like, this is a person that you've hated throughout the entire series, you were probably expecting them to be the bad guy, but wait, that would be too obvious. But wait, it's actually them the entire time.
0: (laughs) But then at the end, like, I felt bad for her because... She has, like, all these expectations set up for her by her parents that she has to, like, not saying that that's an excuse for her terrible, shitty behavior, but, like, shit.
1: You definitely, especially during book three when you see her in the game, um, there's a lot of, like, verbal and physical abuse happening in that household. And you definitely start to feel for her and are like, god damn, what an awful life you must lead with fucking Barbette as your mother. But it's I mean, I feel like
0: you could say the same for a lot of the characters in this book. I mean, the, the 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 concept is cool, like about being a member of a criminal enterprise. But I think that this shows like just how devastating that life can be on your
1: children. Are you saying that massive criminal underground organizations don't make great situations for parenting?
0: yeah i am it's funny how that that that's a thing um a lot of the you know 18 year old individuals in this series are so fucking damaged and it's awful yeah i
1: i feel like that's to be expected when like all of your early childhood is conceived of trauma and awful things happening to you like some of the parents are great like roman's parents seem awesome And, um, obviously Luna's dads are wonderful and Luna's grandmother is wonderful, but then you have, like, Parker's dad being a fucking horrendous human, (laughs) so, like, it, just like anything else, things are hit or miss, but then you have the added layer of trauma on top of that of, like, hey, you're gonna be trained to be, like, a weapon yourself, and you need to prepare yourself for the eventuality that you're gonna have to kill some people.
0: Yeah, I am... I could never imagine doing that. (laughs) But, you know, I guess if that's the life that you have grown up around and seen, that's just the norm.
1: Like, it makes sense to me why Rafe wanted to protect her from all this, because obviously he was like, this is not the life I want for my daughter.
0: Yeah, and it sucks that, you know, that couldn't be a thing. But kudos to him for trying.
1: Uh, In case it wasn't obvious... (laughs) from us talking about it you find out in book three uh through a series of events that luna's father bryce Steele did not actually die he faked his own death um which
0: i hated
1: i don't understand why he needed to do that i have a lot of opinions about this
0: yeah book three when a lot of things come to light you're kind of like okay, but why?
1: Exactly. I was reading through it and I'm like, but why did he have to do that in the first place? Like, I understand that these people showed up at their house, that they were ready to attack him and that he needed to make sure that Luna was safe. And so he faked his own death and disappeared. But why did you have to stay away for like, how however many years, 13 years, 12 to 13 years? Why? Why, why at any point did, were you not able to come back into her life and be like, hey, shit has calmed down now. We, we can figure shit out together and problem solve this. Hey, I'm not actually dead. Why did he stay away for so long? I don't understand. And if I was Luna in that situation, I would be pissed off.
0: Same. And she is. And I just... She's just kind of like, what the fuck? Like, what do I call you? Like...
1: And you also find out that Kai's uh, missing sister was with him for a lot of that time. And it's Which like also like what the fuck? If you could take care of this other child and still like protect yourself and get away and be in a safe house when you needed to because Totem was attacking you, you could have also taken care of your own daughter and been with your husband. I do not understand.
0: Yeah, that part really didn't make a ton of sense I mean I, I love the plot twist of it initially but like yeah when you find out about Kai's sister being with him it's just kind of like what the fuck
1: seriously if I were Lute in that situation I would have been so fucking upset that he like raised this other child and was just like peace out have fun with your other dad
0: who Luna doesn't even know is her her dad because her mind has blocked out all of the trauma.
1: Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that.
0: Like, <laughs> okay.
1: So. So
0: what? <laughs>
1: um, Luna, like I said, blocked out everything before the age of six, including the fact that Rafe was her other father because anytime, like, she heard anything related to the word dad, her mind would like go into like black outrage mode and she would have a complete meltdown about it. So Rafe like protected her and her mind by hiding the fact that he was her other father and just kind of became like a guardian figure for her. And she doesn't realize that he is her father until like she unblocks a memory at Featherstone. And that is such a well-written emotional moment Obviously, to no one's surprise, if you've listened to other episodes of this podcast, you're not surprised to hear that I cried when I read it. But I did the (laughs) reread this week, and I cried again. I knew it was coming. I still cried because it's just so well-written and so emotional. And Rafe, like, finally being able to have that connection with her and her calling him Papa again, I was like, God damn, if this does not make me cry so fucking hard.
0: And I did love the fact that, you know, she does figure out that Rafe is actually her father, but the fact that he had to live so long with her knowing this and just having to go about his life acting like he just was kind of a stand-in like father figure for her and not in any way, you know, re- like not that they're like related, related, but, or, you know, you know what I mean. Um, and Just the trauma that it must have just the experience for him of going through this like I, he I lost know. the
1: love I, of his life and then he lost yes! his relationship with his daughter all in like the same night. And what a fucking bummer. I if I were him, I'd be fucking mad as hell at Bryce, too. Like not only did you fake your death and make me the person who you're supposed to love most in the world believe that you were dead this entire time you also left me to deal with our daughter's trauma alone and, like, pick up the pieces of everything that you left behind. Like, maybe Bryce is the real villain of this story. Maybe that's what we (laughs) need to consider here.
0: Aw, but he's, like, so sweet and cute, though. (laughs) Like, I can't... I'm upset at him but at the same time like I can't stay mad at him for you know the the way that
1: he handled things. I can stay mad at him Um, for both of us.
0: And I don't know enough about trauma responses but I feel like 12 years that no one was like hey maybe we should try like just because one therapist tells you like hey, you should probably just, you know, not ever bring this up ever again. Like, you're just going to let this go on for 12 fucking years and not let your daughter know that you're her father? Like, I don't... You have more experience with that sort of thing than I do, but I just felt like it was kind of far-fetched. Like,
1: I I don't know. The brain in itself is... When we go through traumatic events, the way our brain processes things is very different depending on the person. So, it's hard for me to say, like, "Yes, this was not handled well, because the person's trauma response can be very different uh, based on how they are processing. But I will say that our fear response in based in the amygdala, I understand why if she went through something traumatic, it would trigger like the fight or flight response. That's very basic. However, the way that our brains work over time, and with like repeated when we talk about triggers when we talk about things like ptsd all of those things are rooted in our like fight or flight response and how your body deals with anxiety and trauma and like increased cortisol and all that kind of stuff but the way that people handle that trauma is different based on like the therapeutic recommendations so like some therapists, depending on the trauma, will recommend like exposure therapy, like increased exposure to your triggers over time in a controlled environment to so that you can regulate your brain's reaction to it. But then other therapists like we see in Luna's case will just repre- will recommend avoiding your triggers altogether so that your brain just doesn't have to deal with that response. So I can see this being like, realistic with how she dealt with this. But something that I wish happened, and obviously it's not super realistic when we talk about how our brain handles repressed memories, but I do wish that she got back, like, more of those memories in the series. Like, we really only see her recover, like, four or five memories uh, from her time before she was six, which, again, I think is kind of realistic because ask me to remember anything from when I was six years old it's not gonna go very well uh but I I wish that we got more of that either through her perspective or even like through Bryce or Rafe's perspective so that we could see a little bit more of like what her childhood was like with Roman those and what her relationships were with Bryce and Rafe before she lost that
0: yeah not I don't want to like compare my trauma to like other people's but like I, I can't remember anything from when I was six, but I couldn't imagine a therapist being like, oh, yeah, like, just just don't be her dad and it'll be fine.
1: That that part is <laughs> Dude, like, obviously, when she was younger, she couldn't distinguish between like the words Papa, dad, like that kind of stuff. It was all triggering for her. But as you get older, you get more nuance in your memories. And he could have definitely like introduced like, hey by the way
0: like i'm not just you know your guardian or whatever you want to call this we both love luna's grandmother in this series
1: so much she's such a badass
0: and there's you know a bunch of different reasons why um and she is an older lady um And one of my favorite things and, you know, what I think that Casey Keene does so great in this series is just kind of the representation. Um, So, you know, Luna's grandmother uh, is Bryce's dad um, and her son was gay, but she loved him and Rafe unconditionally. And I think that, you know, it wasn't as common in older generations, but I think that this is how all parents should be.
1: She also, like, unquestionably accepts all of Luna's relationships with the guys and is, like, so supportive the entire time. I love her so much.
0: Yes, and one of our favorite moments is... They're, like, going to be staying with, you know, the, the guys in Luna are going to be staying with her. And she has clothing for the guys. <laughs> and she's like, I hope these fit them. And if not, you should get rid of them. Meaning the guys, not the clothes.
1: <laughs> she's so sassy. I love her.
0: Yes. And another part that I loved was the fact that she, like, marries Luna and Parker Parker. Like, it's so fucking cute.
1: Yeah, so Luna and Parker get married so that Parker doesn't have to worry about his shitty father and his shitty bloodline anymore. So Parker takes Luna's name and Luna's bloodline so that he can be protected by her and her family. And it's such a sweet moment between him and Luna and then obviously the rest of the guys also like align themselves. And then eventually at the end they all have this really cute ceremony. But the lengths that she goes to to protect Parker it's just so sweet
0: I know oh she's just the best I fucking love her
1: I really just love how strong all of the women in this series are like uh Rafe's sister Juliana is such a badass uh Luna's grandmother gigantic badass Luna's best friend. I love Jess so much. Jess is more vulnerable, but she's has her own strengths. And I love how, like, she's unendingly optimistic and is always there for everyone around her.
0: Yeah, she balances Luna so well.
1: Yeah. Like, even the fact that so many of the villains are women, like the women in this series are all badass and i love them
0: yeah you think you know criminal enterprises and i think that most of us i mean the mafia obviously comes to mind and how we all read those mafia romances where the women kind of are just the homemakers and they're not valued as far as their opinions on the criminal side and the business side but in this series i mean there there's no sexism like that um so i think that that's really refreshing
1: I completely agree. So let's talk about Roman and Parker and one of Ashley's absolute favorite parts of the series.
0: Okay so Roman and Parker obviously had some sort of sexual romantic relationship going on pre-Luna and adding her into the mix it's just like such a seamless transition. So We, you know, recall back to the beginning of the episode where we're talking about how Roman tries to bully her, um, but, you know, Parker is like, hey, like, you're not going to be like that towards her. And I just love the dynamic between the two of them. Um, You know, Roman is just so considerate of Parker's needs. He's so sensitive. And coming from a guy who's you know kind of like the like more macho leader leader of this group even though it's fairly well balanced um he just kind of has that leadership personality which as an aries i totally identify with um but it just luna and transitions into their relationship so beautifully Um, Roman's been in love with Luna since they were kids, which I think is a really nice touch to this story. So he has a reason for being so obsessed with her instead of that, like, insta love that we see in reverse harems Mm -hmm. where, like, you, like, see the girl somewhere and you just instantly fall in love with her and have to be in a relationship with her. Um, and there is some pot male, male, female, male, female, male, uh, male, wait. Male, 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 female, <laughs> I believe. Is that a question? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to think back to, like, what I'm, re- like, what I'm referring to. Um, there's some good group sex scenes in this series but um, Oscar also participates in.
1: <laughs> I will say, um, Casey Keene, in general, writes fantastic smut, like, I There are authors who do a great job with plot but, like, fall down on the smut side because it's, like, obvious they're not as comfortable writing it. The first scene in the entire series between Luna and Roman when they have sex in the boxing ring in the oh, gym yeah. is so <laughs> fucking hot. God it's damn. It's so
0: hot. That is such a good scene. She's
1: so talented at writing smut. Like, it's so... The way that she writes it is incredibly engaging. And it's also like you can easily follow along without feeling like you have to pause and be like, where is everyone's hands in this situation?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And if you guys haven't seen that meme, it's so funny because it's like my brain when I'm reading a group sex scene and it's just like like arrows like going everywhere.
1: Just like pause. (laughs) I have to figure out where everyone's penis is right now.
0: Yes. (laughs) But <laughs> that, that gif of the hot dogs just being thrown all over the girl's face. <laughs> Um, <laughs> But yeah, this series is one that really got me into male, male action. I, I mean, I, I think that didn't, did we, did I read this before I read Dark River?
1: I think that I did. You did. You definitely did.
0: Yeah, I definitely read this series pretty on in my reverse harem journey. And yeah, male-male was not something that I was aware that I was into. Um, But I I just love the fact that, you know, uh, there are, there's good representation of bisexual guys in this series. And then I also love that, you know, Kai is a member of their harem and he just has a strict male-female relationship with Luna.
1: And everyone is just so open and accepting. It's just... Yeah. It's a natural progress progression. And then, like Ashley said, Oscar is also, like, exploring his sexuality throughout the series. And everyone throughout is just so supportive and understanding of one another. And it's so lovely.
0: Yeah. We, you know, we love and embrace that here on this podcast. And oh, I, I just... I can't, I can't wait to do, you know, more books that have some quality mail-on-mail content.
1: So in general, I feel like Casey Keene does a great job of writing interesting relationships between the different characters. This is a series where you get different people's point of view, which I love so much because I feel like you get a much broader understanding of the characters and their motivations that way. Uh, but... In general, when I'm reading Casey Keane's series, I really have a good understanding of how each character relates to the different members of the harem. She does a great job of building it out not just in relation to the female main character, but how they also care about one another.
0: Yeah. And you know, that's something that makes these, you know, series I think more believable in the fact that the characters all really care about each other just like how you would in any other type of you know group relationship dynamic it's not just you know that focus on the female main character you have to get along and care for one another as well
1: um we did talk about how we love uh, luna and red's friendship and like i said at the beginning red gets two books after um the three books of featherstone Academy. And those two books go into Red and her own reverse harem, which are other guys that were a part of the series. So if you read Featherstone Academy and enjoy it, I would absolutely recommend that you check out uh, Red's two books as well so that you can learn about her and her relationships and see some more of the story that we read in Featherstone Academy from Red's perspective.
0: Yeah, and um, those books are Red and Freedom. And, oh. There is some, some quality content in those as well. Um, I still have not read Freedom yet, but I, I can't wait to read it. Um, and, you know, like we said, it kind of operates along somewhat of the same timeline and you get the perspective of some other really attractive guys. So definitely check those out if you haven't read them.
1: All right. Anything else you want to add before we jump into our final thoughts?
0: No, I mean, I just, I I love this series and Casey Keene has a new book out, Toxic Creek. I can't wait to read that. I'm sure it's going to be just as good as this one. While there were some, what, you know, what I considered to be plot holes, it, it wasn't enough to, you know, make me think that like, I mean, the whole concept is like very unbelievable but like you know what I mean <laughs> like it was still enough that I could continue reading this series I didn't think it like took anything away from the book
1: I really enjoy how Casey Keene builds out this world I think she does a really great job of world building and it doesn't feel like an info dump all at once because we are discovering things as Luna is also discovering things and then in addition to that we also get to learn more about Luna's background and relationships as Luna does as she's recovering some of these memories. So I think the plot devices that she uses in order to introduce the reader to this background knowledge, I think, is a really creative way of doing it. Um, like Ashley said, definitely some plot holes. <laughs> um, definitely some issues I have with, like, like um, Luna's dad, Bryce, there's a lot of issues I have with that whole plotline, um, and Kai's sister. But in general, I really enjoy the creativity that Casey used while creating this series. And like, just the general idea of the series itself is very interesting to me. Um, the members of the ring, I love how protective they are of Luna throughout. Obviously, there's, like, three of them that are out to get her, but the rest of them, like, love Luna so much, and it's so sweet to see them, like, stepping up to bat for her and making sure that she, that they they know and her and her harem know that they are with her 100%.
0: Yeah. And for me, I loved how in the beginning when we didn't know that Rafe was one of her dads and she's hoping that he'll take her on as a tattoo apprentice instead of pushing her to go to college. But I'm like, there's nothing wrong with being a tattoo apprentice. But of course, someone who's actually her father is going to be like, hey, you should probably go to college because I'm trying to keep you out. Of this criminal lifestyle. Not that, you know, being a tattoo artist is a criminal lifestyle. But I mean, like, out of Featherstone, which does inevitably doesn't happen. But at least he, you know, tried to do his best to protect her.
1: Oh, also, something else I wanted to mention. Uh, Luna is actually very talented being a tattoo artist. And at a certain point in each of the books, she does add tattoos to each of the guys. And I love that so much. Um, I... Do not have any tattoos yet, but I am looking forward to getting my first one this summer, I'm hoping. And I just love that the guys trust her so much that they want her to put her artwork on their bodies.
0: Yeah, I loved that as well. We love tattoos on our uh, harem members, and I love a nice tattooed female main character.
1: Also, it's mentioned once in book one, that Parker has a word of the day from Urban Dictionary, and that's something that happens in, um, was it Sainthood? I don't know, because
0: I haven't finished (laughs) Sainthood, because uh, we'll talk about that when we get to the What Are We Reading this week, why I haven't finished Sainthood, but...
1: I think it was Sainthood. She... That's like a reoccurring thing in Saint Hood but it only happens like once. So I'm like, was that a nod to the Saint Hood series? Or like I don't oh. know when the series was written in relation to the Saint Hood series, but I thought that was interesting.
0: Yeah, we love a nice, you know, crossover between series. It's so cute when authors, you know, kinda give a nod to somebody who inspires them or whose work that they love. So more of that, please.
1: Yeah, most definitely. I also, um, we'll talk about this when we get to what we were reading this week, but I also read Madison Kate, the entire series, and while I was reading that, I found that there was a Hannaford Prep reference in that book, and I was like, oh, this is cute.
0: Eventually, we're going to have to do an episode on that series, and I just, like, I'm I'm not looking forward to it.
1: (laughs) Ashley has some controversial opinions.
0: I am allowed to have uh, thoughts, so I feel like I'm, like, the quintessential hipsters and, like, I tend to not like shit everyone else likes. Or, like, I'll have liked something way before it became popular. Not that I'm <laughs> saying that, that, you know, I feel that way about, like, Tate James' work, or, you know, reverse harems, because I feel like I'm kind of late getting on this train, but... Uh, it's just not for me and I swear it's so fucking annoying every time they say Madison Kate I'm gonna like stab myself oh god
1: we better not get into all this right now Uh, I told
0: you I tried to read seventh circle and I couldn't even get into that so I'm hoping that Kid Davenport will be better that's I'm about to move that up on my tbr
1: uh let's do a final harem ranking um I would say my harem ranking is Roman, then Parker, then Kai, then Oscar.
0: So mine is Parker, Roman, Oscar, then Kai. And the only reason that Kai is at the bottom is because he doesn't participate in any male-male action.
1: There are no bad members in this harem.
0: No, they're all good ones, and that's why it's really hard to rank them, but I love Parker's sweetness, I love Roman's, you know, controlling consideration, I love Oscar's Blake Bowman-esque humor, I love that Kai is such a good listener, but hate that he doesn't like male-on-male action.
1: (laughs) I really like Kai because he just has, like, that quiet, calm vibe, and as a person who is constantly anxious all the time, I'm like, I need, that's really my husband for me, like, he's... I need that quiet, calm person to, like, feed off of their energy and calm my own self down.
0: It makes me laugh to hear you refer to Andrew as quiet and calm. (laughs) Because I swear every time we're recording, like, it's except for today, it was the quietest it's ever been pre-recording it's like him like yelling or like ranting about something
1: <laughs> yeah you don't really see his quiet side. uh no today um he got his second covid vaccine yesterday so he's oh
0: uh, so he's wiped out yeah, he's wiped he out watching today. murder she wrote
1: uh guaranteed what no he was watching uh one of our favorite streamers. But earlier he was watching Murder, She Wrote. He also was, uh, for those of you who don't know, which you wouldn't, because I haven't mentioned this before. My husband is obsessed with Murder, She Wrote. He's actually just kind of obsessed with all like old TV show and media. Like when I mention like 90s cartoons that we all watched growing up, like Rugrats and um, what else? There's there's so many that I watched Lock that I was dig- modern life. Yes. Cat dogs. Yes like all of the rocket Dog. power like all those I watch religiously he's like yeah I never watched any of those like he grew up on like mash and murder she wrote and like all these old TV shows like my husband is a 75 year old man at heart that's really <laughs> <laughs> what he is man
0: that that sucks because I can cons- I personally consider that like Other than Adventure Time and, like, a couple other select cartoons, that was kind of, like, the golden age of cartoons in the 90s. You could just get away with doing whatever the fuck you wanted.
1: I know.
0: Like, Rocco being, like, the phone sex operator and, like, uh, you know, the Angry Beavers and, like, some, like, sexual jokes in that series, like... There's some sexual jokes in Rugrats. Like, no wonder parents didn't mind watching those sort of cartoons. That's, like, me with, like, Bluey. Even though it's not, like, sexual jokes, but it's just, like, cute.
1: Yeah, so, oh, and he was talking to his dad today, and apparently his dad is also watching Murder, She Wrote at the same time, so they were bonding over that on the phone today. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um... (laughs) Oh, do we want to go over what we were reading this week?
0: Yes.
1: So my list is a little bit longer than usual because we did take a week off. Uh, I was planning on traveling to Wilmington, but then my dog had to have emergency surgery and I didn't go. So last week ended up being a good week to take off anyway because I needed the time off after an incredibly stressful time. Uh, But I did get some reading done because who doesn't need to disassociate when they're stressed out? So Mm -hmm. I read the first two Ice Planet Barbarians books, which are all over TikTok right now. And uh, our friend Sarah insisted that we had to read them. They are alien romances. And we've decided collectively that it is alien smut summer. Um, I also read the entire Sainthood series by Siobhan Davis. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I am hoping that we'll do an episode on that a little bit later on. I also figured it was just about that time for me to finally sit down and read Madison Kate. Um, So I did read all four books in that series. I'm going to wait to read the Hades series because there are only two books out so far. So I'm just going to wait until all four of them are out because I don't have the patience to sit through a cliffhanger and wait for the next book to come out. Uh, And then I also read Lyric in the Heartbeats, which is a part of the Sweet Omegaverse, and Our Lady of Rooksgrove Manor, um, because I needed some nice Catherine Moon in my life. This coming week, I'm very excited because the third book in the Plated Prisoner series by Raven Kennedy is coming out on Monday. Uh, The Plated Prisoner series is a retelling of the King Midas myth, and it's so fucking good. I think Raven Kennedy is so underrated and incredibly talented as a fantasy writer. Her world building is like so fantastic and her storytelling. I love it so much. So that's what I'm going to be reading. And I have a feeling I'm going to like read through the entire thing on Monday. And then I'm also reading Void, which is also by Raven Kennedy this week. And I'm sure there will be more things added to that list. But I am just going to be on a Raven Kennedy kick this week. That is my plan.
0: And I had previously read Void and texted Sam because I, like, fucking loved it, devoured it, and was so sad it was a standalone.
1: But I think you're really gonna enjoy it. I'm really excited for it. <laughs> um,
0: So because we had some time off, I've been able to catch up on some reading and read much more than I would normally read, because um, you guys know I work some crazy long hours and have a kid and... All that other good stuff. We have a puppy that we just got. And it's just, I have a lot of shit going on. Um, so I read The Devil You Hate and The Devil You Know. I love the first book. The second book was only okay. And it was kind of like after Nick was nicer. I wasn't as interested. And I just, I don't know why I'm like this. <laughs> like, I guess I like that emotional torture and bully meanness. Um, but we love mafia romance. It's just oh, it's so hot. Um, even though I'm not, you know, interested in dying. I also read Rise of the Witch by C. Rochelle, and I loved it. The female main character is different from most of the ones I've read. Um, she's just kind of a little more gritty and, uh, like, she's likable, but just not, you know, not as likable as most female main characters in Reverse Harem. So I can't wait to see what Vazi gets into in the second book. Um, I read Gilded Mess the first book of a bear shifter Goldilocks retelling um, that was recommended by Willow Hadley it was okay I'm gonna read the second book at some point but the guys are brothers and we all know that I'm weirded out by that kind of thing hence why I have some strong thoughts on Credence <laughs> um, but we're gonna do an episode about that at some point I also read A Lady of Rooksgrave Manor I fucking loved that book praise Catherine Moon. Esther is everything. I love that she owns her sexuality. Um, I had the worst book hangover when it was done and I'm glad that there's going to be more books in the series but I'm sad that it's a standalone for those exact characters and I like have never met a paranormal reverse harem that I didn't like. Just oh amazing. Um, So I'm gonna read Sainthood at some point. I started reading it but I was a little too like some of the things were just a little too heavy with things that i had going on in my life currently so i'm shelving it with plans to come back to it and i am currently i've read over the last like day i've read the first two um ice planet barbarians books and i started on the third one and oh that series is so good it's so good <laughs> those alien penises man
1: alien smut do- summer
0: we're gonna do an episode we'll have sarah on about alien smut summer so be on the lookout for that we should probably do that soon
1: yeah especially it should be like the opening of summer we'll do our alien smut summer episode
0: and maybe after the next episode because we kind of have like we're coming up with our schedule
1: i'm pumped for it any any excuse to talk about blue alien penises i'm down
0: and they're like suedey, velvety skin. Oh.
1: <laughs> so, like Ashley said, next week um, we already have our episode planned. We are going to be diving into Catherine Moon's Sweet Omegaverse, and I'm very excited about that. Um, so, join us next week for that. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Sput and Spice. Please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Join us next week as we dive into the world of the sweet Omegaverse and discuss Baby, Lola, and Lyric, and all of the alphas and betas in their lives. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Smut and Spice Pod. We'd love it if you'd shared our podcast with friends and on social media. If you have any book recommendations, send them our way. And if you're an author who's interested in appearing on an episode, reach out. We would love to have you. A special thanks to our technical producer, Andrew, and to our graphic designer, Lainey, for our amazing logo. The intro and outro music featured on Smut and Spice is District 4 by Kevin MacLeod. The link and licensing information can be found in the episode description. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Bye!